Good morning. So glad that you're here with us at Temple Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have been in a series in the book of Acts. And I, again, I don't know how you can better a story in adventure and excitement and the working of God and miracles and all these things that are taking place in the book of Acts. You can't better it than the book of Acts. This is our third message in the book of Acts, and we are uh, excited that you're here with us, tracking through it with us. Uh, there's so much depth. There's so much depth, and hopefully we'll be, at least be able to touch on uh, most of it as we go through. I don't know that we can touch all of it, but we're going to do our best. Uh, last week we left off having the Holy Spirit come in power, right? The sound of the Holy Spirit come in power to, the Bible says, the upper room where these 120 disciples were. And the sound was so great that thousands of people around Jerusalem came to the house. They wanted to know what's going on. So they come to the house to see what's taking place. And then we see this great fire come into the home. And this is so cool. In this great fire that is divided to every believer, every man and woman, signifying that when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you get the relational presence of God in your life, in every believer. We see that it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then this third kind of phenomenon that took place that day on Pentecost was that these believers began to speak in other languages. Incredible miracle. And also, I mentioned this last week, an incredible statement about how God feels about the nations, about how God feels about other cultures. So the word of God, the gospel, goes forth for the first time in multiple languages at the same time. I think God's trying to make a comment about other cultures, that there's not one culture, right, that has uh, precedent on, uh, precedence on the gospel of Jesus. He wants everyone to know him. And what a beautiful way to say that than all these languages being spoken at the same time. So we left off there last week with all these people surrounding the home kind of going, what does this mean? What could this mean? And then some people just dismissing it all together and going, uh-uh, this is, this is just craziness. They're all drunk, right? That's where we left off last week. Let's get into our text this morning. Acts 2, verse 14 says this, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and, that of, uh, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. May God bless the reading of his word. And as we study it, would you pray with me? Lord God, we love you. What an amazing story that you've given us to learn from. God, I pray that you would empower us by that same Holy Spirit to speak and hear and understand and live the life, God, you're calling us to live. By your grace and your goodness, bless this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Do you notice anything different about Peter? He's changed a little bit, hadn't he? Sometimes I think about Peter and I think about this little hunkered down guy with a coat on. He's even maybe shaken around the fireplace. And a little girl says, hey, weren't, weren't you the one that was with Jesus? Nope, no, not me. Not me, and he's looking around. He doesn't want to be caught. Does that personality exist now? Do we see that here in this moment in Peter? No. We see an emboldened, confident, powerful, strong apostle stand and take his rightful place as the leader among this group and begin to speak the truth. Now, you can imagine, this is dangerous, right? It's this kind of talk and this kind of message that got Jesus crucified, but the Holy Spirit has given him confidence and power, and he speaks it clearly. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Even his statement is like, hey, hey, hey. Those of you that are in town for all the festivities, great. Those of you that live here, great. Listen to what I'm about 
to say. There's a strength. There's a proclamation style of speaking that he's, he's putting forth here. He wants people to know what he's about to say and feel the power that is in his words. That's happening right now as a result of what God has done through the Holy Spirit. First thing he says is, listen, I know this, this seems a little crazy, but listen, these people are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. And on top of that, it's Pentecost. Now, who would be drunk on Pentecost, but especially at 9 a.m. in the morning? And culturally, they could say that doesn't happen, okay? So he's, he's saying definitively, they're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit doing something, and he brings in this prophecy from Joel. Now, I don't know about you, but this prophecy of Joel has always confused me. It's always confused me, and I love, the chap- I love chapter 2 in Acts. It's one of my favorite things. It's one of the reasons I'm selfishly teaching several of these messages back-to-back by the grace of Jerry's giving me grace to do this, and we're sharing these, but I'm excited to teach these. It's some of my favorite stories. But I've always been confused about that little section uh, from the prophecy of Joel. Let me break it down for you just a little bit, some things that I've learned about it, okay? He speaks, and he uses the words, in these last days. Now, when somebody would say, in the last days, what they meant was that when Messiah comes to set up his kingdom, that's what they were referring to. Those will be the last days, okay? Now, something interesting that we know that they didn't know (laughs) is that the last days weren't necessarily going to be consecutive few weeks or few months or even a year. So when the Old Testament writer writes it, and even when Peter's reading and, and speaking now, think of all the things that have happened in two months with Peter, right? His friend and, sa- and savior and master has been arrested. The world starts going crazy. He's crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. He's seeing this resurrected Jesus alive, and, and then he sees him ascended to heaven, Right? And then after that, he, he just experienced the Holy Spirit. come. All these events are very dramatic. And so you can imagine him going, this, we are, and clearly, he was right to say they were living in the last days. But he didn't realize that we, 2,000 years later, would also be living in the last days. He didn't realize it would be this long, extended period that Jesus would come not just once, to set up his kingdom, but he would come twice. Clearly the Old Testament speaks about both comings of Christ. But in this moment, you can read this section of, of the prophecy of Joel and see this didn't take place around this time period. The blood and the smoke and the moon of blood, those things didn't take place around this time period. When will they take place? When Jesus comes a second time. That's when they'll take place. So what is happening? What's the purpose in saying this? Well, clearly they are seeing a foretaste of what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit has been poured out not on all flesh, but on, all, on these disciples. It's a foretaste of what God is going to do when he makes all things new in a new kingdom, right? So this is a foretaste. This is a little shadow, a, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. But the one thing that he wants people to take away from this prophecy of Joel is the very last phrase. It's the mission of God, right? We keep talking about the mission of God. And the very thing he wants people to take away from that is that 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you can imagine with all these dramatic events and with what we're about to learn of how Peter brilliantly breaks down the truth and fact that Jesus was and is Messiah, these folks are going to want to know, how must I be saved? And he, he bookends beautifully this message with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, that's how he sets this up in this uh, prophecy. Now, when we hear the title Messiah, it's just very natural for us who've been raised in the church or know the word. We know that's who, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. But for folks who grew up in a Jewish tradition, they would not have known Jesus to be the Messiah, but they would have looked for several markers to try and find Messiah. And for whatever reason, when he came and fulfilled these markers, they didn't see Messiah in Jesus. And so Peter is taking all of these events and all those prophetic markers about who Messiah is, and he brings it in this pregnant moment where the Holy Spirit has empowered him and now he can step up to really the first Christian podium and deliver the first Christian sermon outside of Jesus himself. And he comes inside the faith system of the Jewish people. That's what's so beautiful. He doesn't just start talking about uh, all that God's going to do. He, he comes inside the work, the framework of, of the story of God. We've talked about that, right? So he comes inside the framework of the faith system of the Jewish people. And he says, listen, you know about Messiah. And of course, all those Jewish men would have been like, yeah. He says, well, let me remind you of a few things. And I just thought I would mention a few prophecies of Messiah to you. Okay? Here's a few prophecies of what the Messiah will do. He will be called a Nazarene. Okay? What's the first thing Jesus, uh, that Peter says as he starts to tell the story? Jesus of Nazareth, he starts to break down and show the parallel. This is the Messiah you're looking for, and this is Jesus. And it's going to start to line up, and they're going to start to see with clarity. The Messiah would perform signs and wonders. He mentions that in his message. Did Jesus do that? Yeah. He would be a suffering servant, Isaiah says. Did he suffer? Did they watch him suffer? Yes. One prophecy says that he would die from a murderous plot. Did that happen? Yeah. He would be born in Bethlehem, this Messiah. He would come riding in on a donkey, this Messiah. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, Messiah. And he would be pierced for our transgressions, this Messiah. Does that sound like somebody? Now, hindsight's 2020. That's why you're going, yeah, it's Jesus. But for these Jewish men, they, would, they hadn't put it together quite like that. Peter says, listen, you saw it yourselves. You saw the signs and wonders. You saw what Jesus has done. Then he says, he, <laughs> then he drops it on him. He drops the mic on him. And this is what he says. Jesus was delivered up. But that was all according to God's plan. And he says, you crucified him. He makes it personal, right? He's connecting our responsibility, 
Our sins put Jesus on the cross. I know it's so easy for us to read the passion of the Christ and to hear those mobs saying, crucify him, crucify him. Thinking about Pilate saying, who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? We want Jesus to be crucified. It's easy for us to read a story and go, how could they do that? But listen, we did it. You did it. I did it. Our sins put him on the cross just as those Jewish men. Acts 2, 23 and 24, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now listen, I want to push pause here just for a second. I don't want us to miss this little message to us here. God, he can use anything, he can use anything to accomplish his will. This is what I'm talking about. He uses brokenness, he uses lawless men, he uses death and crime and the fallenness of man to accomplish his will. And listen, for some of us, that's hard to swallow. But it's the truth, right? Listen to this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. God, listen, he's he's saying God has a plan. It's definite. You can count on it. And a foreknowledge. So what has happened in your life? Who has broken your heart? Who has stabbed you in the back? Who has let you go? Who has devastated your family? Who has been that lawless man for you? Because it's happened to all of us. But God has a plan. And God sees. He saw it. He saw it all. He sees it all. Because some of you are right in the middle of it. Some of you are right in the middle of walking through some brokenness that you don't know how to fix. God has a plan. And he sees. And even though it's evil, some of it, even though it's difficult, we have to trust that he is a good God. Did God bring good from a crucifixion? Did he? Do we know him today because he was he allowed himself right to be killed? And we can't be like Peter saying, No, Lord, don't let this happen. This can't be. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, because I have a definite plan. I have a definite plan. Listen, I don't know, I don't know the difficult thing that has happened in your life, but God can use it for good. I don't know the broken heart that you've experienced, but God can use it for good. And I don't even know how, but I know he can because that's what he does and that's who he is. 
Reminds me of Joseph. Right, Joseph, uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, and he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Even when people mean to hurt you, our God turns it around on its head and uses it for his glory. Praise the Lord. Let's look at our text again. Acts 2 and 25. Peter, he's brilliant. He begins to bring in their hero, King, King David. And the prophecies that that King David makes about Jesus in verse 25. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, in this moment, Peter is it's making it really clear here for these Jewish men. They, they know what he's trying to say. This is a messianic prophecy, which means they might have thought this was about David because David said this. He's making it clear. This is not about David. Let me go on. Verse 29, he said, brothers, he tries to explain here, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Now I want to push pause and I want to show you a picture. A few years ago, I had the privilege to go to uh, Jerusalem. Do you have those pictures? Oh, good. This is a picture of David's tomb. And if you were in Jerusalem today, you could go and you could walk up to this. Now, that's just like a weird, dirty canopy, a maroon canopy that you walk up to. Your head comes up to about here. But you can see the original rock that's part of David's tomb. Now, do you have that other picture? This is a picture of what our guide told us was the upper room. So if it is the upper room... And those 120 people were in there, and this was the house that all the people from town came to see. Uh, This is what's interesting. This room is directly above David's tomb. So when you walk out of this room, it's on the second story. You walk down some stairs, and you go around the corner, and you look. David's tomb is just below this room. So as Peter's speaking, he literally could just go, See David's tomb? I mean, he's pointing at the tomb. He's trying to make this point that our king, King David, he's dead. His body did see corruption. So he's not speaking about himself. He must be speaking about Jesus. Okay? Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of the descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This uh, quote Peter's making is from Psalm 16. And it's, it's from Jesus' perspective on the cross. It's the first person. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus speaking through David about himself. Isn't that interesting? And Peter uses it to show these Jewish men he's talking about the Messiah here. He's talking about the Messiah. 
He says, listen, all of us, talking about the apostles, we were all there. We're all witnesses to his death and his resurrection and ascension. But Christ has not only been resurrected, but he's been exalted to the right hand of God. Now, when he said that, in their minds, in their Jewish cultural minds, they would have said, wait, that's something that only Messiah is supposed to have happen. And he goes, exactly. Let's look at Psalm 110, and he quotes that. And it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is what he's saying. The Lord, Father God, said to my Lord, David saying, my Lord is Jesus, right? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus, we saw him ascend. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he took the position of Messiah. And only Messiah, sitting at the right hand of the Father, could send the promised Holy Spirit that you just experienced in this house. These things are starting to line up with these men. And it's getting real quiet. And they're start, it's starting to set in with them what has happened. And then he goes down to his thesis statement. This is his power statement. And he says, uh, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, he uses this Greek word asphalos for the word for certain. And this is what it means. There's no shadow of a doubt. So if we read it like this, it would read like, like this. Let the house, the nation of Israel, know that there is no shadow of a doubt that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Messiah. He is making his point as clear as can be. This Jesus, whom you crucified, and you could hear a pin drop. Because it begins to sit in that they are on the wrong side of history. They're on the wrong side of their religion. And not only did they miss the signs of Messiah, they missed Messiah. And not only did they miss Messiah, they crucified him. Outside of the gates on a cross like a criminal. And the one thing they were to do as Jews was to wait for Messiah. You can imagine in their culture, in their hearts, the brokenness, the horror of this realization that, what have we done? What have we done? The Bible says they were pierced and cut to the heart in conviction. Let me ask you this question. Has there been a moment in your life when you've been cut to the heart? Where you've been pierced to the heart with conviction? So much so you don't even have words to say. You're just, you're just broken. I want to remind you of a little story about our preacher because he had that moment. And by God's grace, our writer of the same book has preserved it for us. Luke 22, let's go over there. Verse 60 says, But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. This is his third time to deny Christ. Just hours before Jesus said, Hey, listen, you're going to deny me three times before the morning comes and the rooster crows. And we, we're popping in here on the third time he, he denies Christ. Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now watch this. 
And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In verse 62. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was cut to the heart. Peter was pierced to the heart. And the word that's being used here means that this was a painful realization. He was cut deep. One, some translations say cut to the quick. And that helps us know a little bit. Oh, this sudden just pain. Peter had felt that pain. And now as he preached the truth of who Messiah was, these men around him feel pierced like he had been pierced. Listen, conviction of sin is the first step towards repentance and salvation. It's the first step. Conviction of sin, repentance, contrition of heart or brokenness of heart and spirit. That should show the right posture of somebody who's coming to Christ. Somebody who's coming to know Jesus as their Savior. It's not just about knowing that the rules of the, of the Bible have been broken and you broke them. That's a head knowledge. That's understanding truth. But our position as people coming to know Jesus as our Savior ought to be brokenness. It ought to be repentance. It ought to be conviction. We ought to be cut to the heart for who we've been and for what we've done against the Lord. That's the feeling these men are having. I've had the privilege of uh, singing and speaking in several prisons around the country. And that's a group of people. It's my fact, it's my favorite group of people to sing to or preach to. Because as soon as you walk in, there's no pretense. There's no, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm wonderful, how are you? And there's no masks. They know right off that you know they're in there for a reason. And every day of their lives haunts them for what they've done. And so for those people to be believers in, in Jesus in prison, that's all they have to hold on to. So when they sing, it's not a fake song, it's from their soul. And I'll never forget this one place we went. And we had a pretty powerful sound system. It was loud. There were three or 400 prisoners. And they outsang our sound system. I looked over and our guy was pushing it all the way up. And we couldn't hear the songs to sing to them. Because they were singing too loud. That's a good problem. I, I've never experienced that in my whole life but that once. I love the... The phrase Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And for those of us that understand the depth of forgiveness he has given us, it changes how we worship. It changes how we give. It changes how we live. It changes how we speak. It changes everything about us. When you've been cut to the heart, it should change everything about you. There's a one-two punch that happens with the gospel. The spirit of God and the word of God. It's a one-two punch. And Peter's showing them the truth of the word and the power of the spirit and those men are knocked out, right? This is what the Bible says about the word and how deep it can cut. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Those things, as you know, are very hard to explain and separate. And his point is saying the word can do even more. It can cut. And that's what's taking place here. Peter calls the crowd when they say, listen, <laughs> and what, what do we do all the time, right? We want to know what, what do I have to do to make this right? I'll get it right. And that's what the Jewish men said. What must we do here? What must we do? What have we done? What must we do? And Peter says this, and he gives us a beautiful example of how to be saved. He says, repent and no forgiveness. He says, be baptized. And listen, in that moment, there's more to this baptized thing for these men. Peter's saying, there's no more secret Christians. Remember that story we talked about in Nicodemus? He came to Jesus in the evening just to ask some questions. Peter's calling him out, saying, come on, come out of the dark and be baptized right here with all these people watching. No more secret Christians. And then he takes it up a notch and he says, come and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. Come and profess, proclaim the authority, the title, the position that Jesus is Messiah. This was a big moment. He's also saying, come and be a part of a family. Because baptism isn't just an exercise or reflection of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. It's also an invitation to be a part of a family, right? That's what Peter's calling them to. And he also brings in here, he says, just in case you wondered, there's nothing that you can do to give you this. Peter mentions the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he uses this Greek word, dorea, which means this. It's free and unmerited. There's nothing you can do. This is a gift for you. This Holy Spirit is a gift. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. What does that mean? It means, yes, of course, it's for you and your families, but it's also for the Gentiles. And for him to have said it's also for the Gentiles would have been a difficult thing to hear for the Jewish people. There was a lot of prejudice, there was a lot of racism. And I think it's so interesting that he's saying, listen, this is for you and your families, but it's for every family. This is for you and your families, but for those who are far off, the Gentiles. And guess what, church? That's us. We are far off. I love this scripture in, in Ephesians 2, 12. It says, remember that you, the Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. We have been brought near. We finish up this morning. Acts 2.40. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, I want to just push pause for a second. Why would he say that? Well, obviously, it's a crooked generation, but he's also saying we have a responsibility in the choice we make. Save yourselves. In other words, no, we can't save ourselves. Jesus has to save us. But we have to make a choice to trust him, don't we? That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, make the choice 
Make the choice. Get out of this way of life that you've lived. Make a choice. Be a part of our family and be saved. Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that last verse, uh, I think about two things. It says, so those who received his word, if you think about it, also means there were those who did not. Okay? And that breaks my heart. And I know that it's probably real that even in this room today, there will be those that believe this and those that choose not to. And that breaks my heart. I pray that you would see the power of God. See the work of God in this beautiful story. And that you would know him and accept him and you would be invited into a family. And that you would receive this gift. And we see that the fact that Luke records that there's 3,000 souls that have been saved and baptized, it just shows again that he's very studious and he's keeping good records. And listen, church uh, roll keeper, now we have 3,120. Woo! That's awesome. And I like the fact that he uses this word at the end. And there were added that day about 3,000 people. He didn't say people. 3,000 men? No, he didn't say men. They were added that day 3,000 souls. May we remember that this world needs Jesus. That God has a mission, and that mission is to make people know his son, to help people see the truth of who he is, that he loves them. That's his mission. And may we as his people see them as souls to be saved and not just people that we can be prejudiced against or war against or argue with. May we see the thing that God sees in them and that's their soul. That's their soul. The Spirit empowered Peter and he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is Messiah. God uses anything he chooses to accomplish his will. And we must be cut to the heart with the realization of who we are and who he is. We must trust him. And we must worship as a result appropriately. We must be saved. We must be baptized. We must be empowered by the Spirit. And we must belong to a community. And so with that this morning, I just ask you this. Are you a part of this community? Do you want to be? We would love for you to be. In the next week or two, we're going to have a baptism service. Have you been baptized? Have you followed, you know, we say this, have you followed Christ in baptism? Well, the reality is, as a Christian, it's the very first act of obedience. Jesus said to be baptized. Have you been baptized? If you haven't, come be baptized. This is going to be a celebration. We're going to party and we're going to sing and we're going to clap and we're going to be excited about what God is doing in our church. Come be baptized. And do you have a community where you can be yourself and you can grow and people can tell you, listen, 
I love you, but that's not right. They're going to hold you accountable. They can bless you and they can walk life with you in a very honest and authentic way. Do you have that? If you don't, we want to become that for you. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we pray that you would help us, Jesus, to hear your word today. And even if we've known you for 50 years, would you remind us just in a little way of what it feels like to be cut to the heart with our sin? If we can be cut to the heart, God, we can worship you from the depth of what you've done in our lives. You don't want rule followers, God. You want people who have truly been changed by the power and the grace of Jesus. And that only happens when we truly understand the depth of our brokenness, the depth of our fallenness, the depth of our depravity. And our only hope is Jesus. Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs a family, would you, would you help them feel welcome enough to come and be a part of ours? Part of this story that you're writing around us. And would you give us hearts to see souls in need so that we make you known here, right here, around our community and around the world for your glory and our good. Continue to tell this story that you've involved us in, that you've called us up in. We love you. We worship you now, Lord, as a saved people, as a spirit-baptized people, as a people who love you and want to live for you and want to remember the extent of which you've gone to save and change us. May we worship from that place, oh God. In Jesus' precious name, amen.